It's a phrase from popular movies. It's also a question that comes up in our daily life. The question is, is that even legal? We talk about the things that drive you crazy, the things you won't believe, and the things you need to know and understand. I'm attorney Bob Sewell, and this is the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Let's get started. Today on the show is Roy Herrera. Roy is an election law attorney. He practices in Phoenix and in D.C. And election law involves a variety of issues, including things like voting rights and how elections are run and how campaigns are run. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I want to tell you a story that happened recently in my hometown, Gilbert. I know the people that that involve involves, and so and and so it's it's a bit personal. But there was a bond that came to uh, onto the ballot in the last election, and the bond was quite substantial, and it gave a lot of people pause. It it barely passed passed by less than two hundred votes, and. The the bond wasn't favored by a lot of the citizenry, and we have a particular citizen, um, and this citizen owns a sign shop, and he decides he's going to have uh, you know voice his concern about the bond, and he puts up signs. He he takes his material, and I I know him, so he takes you know a bunch of leftover material, and he takes his uh, his um. Uh, you know, his, the paints he already owns and he creates a bunch of signs and he puts it out, no bond and says it, how terrible it is. And at the bottom of the, of it, he puts his name uh, not his name. He puts, uh, something like concerned citizen. I don't remember exactly what it was and a phone number at the bottom, but he doesn't put his name on the, the election sign. And the, uh, this, someone from the town decides they don't like the bond signs and they, cause they want the bond to pass and they begin to collect these signs and they say, well, they're illegal signs. So here's the question. Is that even legal? One, can I put up a sign like that? And then number two, um, can the town collect my signs? So we have um, all kinds of rules related to political signage that uh, are both under state law and also local municipal law. And basically these rules outline, you know, when signs can go up, when they need to be taken down, what kind of disclaimers, which, you know, basically what kind of information needs to be on the signs, kind of like what you described, you know, uh, contact information, identifying who's responsible for the sign, that kind of thing. Um, And so we have these laws uh, in effect. Um, now, if there's a violation of the law, uh, the law does allow for a government entity to take the signs down, as you're describing uh, in your in your you know in the in the local bond you're dealing with there. Um, so it is allowed to answer your question. Now, the real question from a legal perspective is, you know, are those kinds of sign ordinances constitutional? Right. The question is, you know, uh, do our political signs protected by the First Amendment? And the answer is yes. I mean, political speech, including political signs, are protected by the First Amendment. 
But what that means essentially is that you would have to do sort of the normal First Amendment analysis. In other words, looking at the law when the government decides to restrict speech, how does the government do so? Does it do it in a way that is uh, content-based uh, discrimination, or does it do it in a way that's essentially content neutral? Does it treat all the signs the same or treat certain types of signs differently than others? In this instance, um, you know, we have pretty uniform rules at the statewide level that treats all signs the same, you know, all political signs. So whatever your viewpoint is on a particular issue, whether it's a bond or a candidate or whatever, you're subject to the same rules. And so as a result, when a judge, you know, looks at a, uh, at a, at a law like that, to decide whether there's been a First Amendment violation, he has to look at it from a lower standard, legal standard. So all you have to do in that scenario, if there isn't discrimination, uh, is you know essentially see whether the government has any real basis for such a rule. And one can imagine, you know, the reason why we have sign ordinances is because, or at least the government would argue that the reason that we have sign ordinances is because it's it's a good thing, right? Meaning. Um, one, there's a safety issue. If there's no rules related to signs, then people can put up signs anywhere. There could be blockages of right-of-ways, uh, you know, public right-of-ways. There could be, you know, per- potential problems with visibility for traffic. Um, there's also sort of nuisance in, in uh, kind of related concerns. If you don't have any signs ordinances, people won't take their signs down. It'll make our community look ugly. There'll be trash on the sides of the roads, et cetera. So I think those are the justifications why we have sign ordinances. Also, and this gets back to your question, we have as part of these sign rules, political sign rules, requirements that whoever's behind the sign needs to put who they are. They need to identify themselves. You know, it's paid for by or responsible by XYZ person, even if it's a citizen. Um, And the reason, you know, again, that the government justifies this is to say that, you know, citizens that see these signs, that see this political speech should know who's responsible, who's behind that. Uh, and that's why we have these rules. And so, again, to kind of circle back, this is this is the sort of regime we've created that has been scrutinized under the First Amendment. There's been violations, though. I mean, um, in Gilbert's a good example where there was a sign ordinance that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court back in 2015 that was found unconstitutional. Right. So you can mess up in this area. But the statewide level, that hasn't been the case. So to, if I want to put up put up a sign. Bob Sewell, he doesn't like Governor Franks, okay? I think Governor Franks is the worst governor since Governor Smith, okay? I can't stand Governor Franks. And I want to put up a sign all over my town during the election season, you know, Governor Franks smokes crack cocaine or whatever, you know, Governor Franks is really, really bad, okay? Can I do that? You can. Um, in other words, you'd have the right to put those signs up in in a, in a public, you know, area. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that on private property, for example, right? Because the mm-hmm. owner would be like, no, you don't, you know, you can't do that. But in a public area, you could do that. So long as, again, you are following the rules that all signs of that nature are required what, to follow. What type of rules are we looking at? So kind of like what you're, what, what that, the, the opponent of that bond initiative, um, ran into, which is to say that he didn't put, as I understand it, and this became part of the litigation, he didn't put the, his name, right? He didn't actually identify who was responsible. There was contact information. I think it was like a phone number or something like that that he put on the sign, but he didn't identify who, who was responsible, the party responsible for the ad. So back to your question, you could do that, but you would need to identify who you are. Otherwise, you would be facing the same kind of challenge. Um, that we that we you know sort of had with this particular sign, and my understanding is that the city you know basically or the town I should say uh, you know saw that there was a violation, ended up taking all the signs down, 
And then after the election, there was a lawsuit, uh, which was eventually dismissed, um, related to the city's action, right, on whether it was able to do that or so, not. So let me ask you this. What, is, that, is that good policy to have to put up a sign? Because, you know, if I, if I don't like Governor Franks, Governor Franks is a bad guy, but he happens to be very popular among a certain type of citizenry. And that certain type of citizenry happens to be a violent insurrectionist citizenry. And so I don't want to put my name on that sign, Governor Franks is a really bad dude who commits crimes because his supporters are violent insurrectionists. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's why, a tough why scenario. Should I, why should I have to do that? Yeah, I mean, you'd be putting yourself at, at risk. I, I think, you know, the, the argument for it would be something like a, kind of a slippery slope argument, which is to say that if we don't require you to put who you are, then any person um, is going to go out there, not just you. I mean, you're doing it for, for good reasons, right, uh, presumably. But any person or any group, especially groups that have a lot of money, are going to flood a particular community with ads, signs, things like that, and never identify themselves. So no one's going to know who's responsible for, you know, who who put those signs up or who did those ads. And that's that's the kind of, I guess, uh, cost-benefit analysis that you'd have to make. You know, if you're that individual, that's what you're outlining is a certain is a, is a real concern. Unfortunately, politics have become you know violent in a lot of ways, uh, which is terrible. I think, uh, um, uh, which is you know, I think we can all agree on. But but the bottom line is, you know, if you take away the the rules related to identifying who paid for a particular ad, then what's going to happen is you're going to get a bunch of bad actors come in and say, all right, well, now I don't even have to tell you who I am and I'm going to pay for all these things. So if I'm that individual, unfortunately, your probably your best probable option is to instead of you yourself paying for the ads, giving to a political action committee or kind of a like minded political organization that has a little bit more um is a little bit more removed from you. So it doesn't have the same sort of danger. And then those organizations are the ones that put up the signs. That's typically what happens. It's pretty rare that you see like an individual just decide, I'm going to pay for these signs and put them up. It's more, much more common that a concerned citizen will say, all right, well, who's an opponent? Who's the opposing campaign to this? I'm going to give to them. Uh, And then they're going to take my money along with other opponents money uh, and put up signs and and fight back that way. So, Am I limited in the and no, the amount of my spending on signs? So you're so you're not. Um, so since um, Citizens United, there are no limitations on the aggregate amount of money you can spend on political speech. There are some limitations, for example, on contributions directly to candidates. Right? We have contribution limits, but there are no rules. It would be unconstitutional for there to be any rules that would limit what you can spend overall on politics. And that would include giving to political action committees or nonprofit organizations in unlimited amounts against or for something, whether it's an initiative or a candidate. So there are no limits to that at all. The the Supreme Court has said there are only certain limits that are okay, you know, post-Citizens United. One of them, like I mentioned, is contribution limits. The other is kind of related to this situation, which are disclosure requirements. So in other words, yeah, you can't be limited on how much you can spend, but a government can impose reasonable requirements that you identify who you are. Now, there are loopholes, which are like 501c4 organizations, dark money organizations. But for the most part, you do have to disclose 
who you are if you're making political contributions through some sort of report. Um, and, and that's what happens. Well, Roy, for you know, Roy, I can't stand Secretary Smith. OK, I think Secretary Smith is a is a is a fascist. The imaginary Secretary Smith. I have no idea. Right. And so <laughs> I got a great plan. And my plan is I'm going to to take my Sharpie and pencil in Sharpie in on Secretary Smith's signs. Every single one of them, a a little Hitler mustache. Can I do that? So, that the, so, so no, uh, because there are there are not criminal free statutes. Boy, it's my free speech, right? Well, but then in that scenario, you'd be imposing upon another's free speech, right? I mean, you'd be changing their sign. Um, there'd be no restriction on you putting up your own sign that has a Hitler mustache <laughs> next to that sign, right? <laughs> but you you would be you would be okay, and you would not be okay in actually defacing that particular sign. And that is a scenario where you have real, actual criminal liability potentially, right? Because there are criminal statutes under Arizona law that make that actually illegal for you to def- deface a sign, to remove it, um, to do, to destroy it, things like that. I want to talk about voter ID laws. Re- requiring voter ID, that, that's a political hot topic. Do we have a voter ID law in Arizona? So sort of, we do. Um, and there's some litigation that's actually pending right now um, related to uh, a new rule that the Arizona legislature uh, passed that's a voter ID law that applies to voter registration. Um, and in the interest of full disclosure, I'm um, in that lawsuit. In other words, I have clients that are part of the plaintiffs against that law uh, in that lawsuit. There, there's maybe about, I think there were seven lawsuits that were filed that all have been consolidated at this point. And so I'm the plaintiff's counsel for one of them. So that's just so you know. But it is a uh, it is a hot topic. Uh, we passed a proposition years ago that required, I think it was in 2005, that would require voter ID for Arizona voters, for, for folks that wanted to vote in Arizona elections. And even before that, back in 1996, the state changed the driver's license um registration form to include and and ask for voter ID. That is to say, like social security numbers, things like that. So we've had this rule in the books. There was a lawsuit after the proposition in 2005 that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where basically the U.S. Supreme Court said, okay, it's fine for you as the state of Arizona to impose voter ID requirements on Arizona voters, but you cannot impose those same requirements on federal only voters. These are voters, for example, in Arizona that live in Arizona, they're registered to vote in Arizona, but they only vote in federal elections. And the reason for that is because we have a federal law called the NBRA, the National Voter Registration Act, that does not require uh, proof of citizenship to vote in federal elections. So the Supreme Court basically said, Arizona, you cannot overrule that federal rule. Uh, And that's what the subject of this current litigation is, right? Whether this new law actually contravenes that prior Supreme Court precedent. When people say voting, you know, ID, voting ID, what are they actually talking about? Because I think there's a lot of confusion on that. Is is when people advocate for voter ID, are they advocating that when I fill out my registration, I put down my driver's license number? Or are they advocating that I present ID when I go to the polls? Which one is it? 
So it could be any of those things. Uh, in other words, there's not sort of a set definition when somebody says, um, you know, I'm against voter ID laws or for voter ID laws. It really sort of depends because it comes in different forms. It could come at the stage that you're talking about, which is at the voter registration stage, right? So you're requiring somebody to put their social security number, their tribal ID number, their, you know, whatever other form of government identification that shows that they're citizens on their voter registration form for them to be registered. It could also come though later, as you also mentioned, uh, when somebody's actually voting. So for example, the legislature had a proposal this last session where there would have been a new requirement that when you send in your mail-in ballot, and you probably voted by mail, I'm not sure, but you know, most, I, yeah, most, many of your listeners have, um, you have to send, when you, when you mail it in, an affidavit you know, that's attached to it. Right now, it's just your signature. Um, but the legislature was proposing essentially adding a new line to that affidavit, which would require you to put voter ID number on that for it to count. So that's an example of like, in order to vote, you needed to show uh, ID on the early ballot. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, debate, obviously, about voter IDs. You make arguments. And in fact, I'm going to participate in a debate over at ASU Law about voter IDs uh, in a couple of weeks um, uh, that's hosted by the Federal Society, uh, which is kind of a conservative uh, lawyer group. I'm a progressive or democratic lawyer. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I I believe in civil discourse, so I want to go into the lion's den and sort of debate it uh, <laughs> debate it with those folks. Oh, the um, cats. They're super nice it, in the Federal Society. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> fine. Uh, I'm sure it'll be nice to me. But 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 my point, I guess, to, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, the argument for voter ID laws is typically. Well, you know, you should be able or should be forced to show that you're eligible to vote. And what harm does it do by, you know, requiring this of you? And it prevents fraud. The argument against voter ID, and I'm simplifying both sides, but like the argument against is that for a lot of people, they may not have ready access to the information they would need to provide. So essentially, they'd be disenfranchised because they wouldn't be able to vote or register. And there is no real election fraud. And so therefore, these kinds of additional requirements like serve no purpose. So yeah. that is encapsulates, I think, the arguments both ways. So let me let me ask you to, to help me understand. You, when I went, went to register to vote, I did it right when I got my driver's license. I moved to Arizona. I need a new Arizona driver's license. Oh, crap. So I figure it out. I got to go to this particular website and I fill out my information. And as I'm getting my driver's license and I'm taking care of that, there's the additional question. Hey, would you like to register to vote? I'm like, that's convenient. And I click the button. I register to vote. And clearly they know who I am. They know everything about me already. I've registered to vote. What's the problem? I, 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 they have my ID. I, what's the problem here? Well, so the argument would be, so that's the rule. I mean, we, again, like we mentioned before, we, you know, the voters of Arizona passed a proposition requiring, you know, proof of citizenship for Arizona voters. There are two categories, though, of voters that may have a problem in that okay. scenario that you're talking about. The first is the category of voters that are older voters that registered to vote pre-1996, or excuse me, got a driver's license pre-1996. Those people because are not old. Those people are not old, They're, by the way. Those people oh, okay, are sorry. young bucks. So, well, okay. to me, to me, to me. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Uh, so those are folks that they've been registered to vote for a long time, but they didn't do it through the, the system that you're describing, which really wasn't, I mean, the, the internet wasn't much of a thing in 1996, but the requirement, the same sort of process was in place. So those folks never had to show proof of citizenship to register because it wasn't something that was really an option until 1996. So what happens to those folks? Are those folks 
not registered anymore? Do they need to be purged from the ballot because they have never shown proof of citizenship? That's one category, right? And I'm mm-hmm. sort of making the argument. The second ca- uh, category are not older voters or, you know, uh, they're not old, but pre-1996 voters. Uh, but there are voters that are simply interested in just voting in federal elections. They, they don't want to vote for governor. They don't want to vote for um, the legislature. They don't want to vote for, you know, the Gilbert mayor. They literally just want to vote for Senate. Um, or Congress. And there are voters like that. I mean, there are thousands of voters that are like that. And those voters under federal law aren't required to provide proof of citizenship because the NVRA, a law that Congress passed, only requires that those voters attest to their citizenship. So all they have to do when they fill out a voter registration form for federal only is to say like, yes, I am a citizen. I attest that I am a citizen. But they don't actually have to show you or put a number down on how they are a citizen or or, or, or or prove that they're a citizen. So those voters in this scenario would have a problem, right? Because um, now they're being required to do something by state law that federal law uh, basically doesn't require them to do. Uh, and you know, we have the whole supremacy issue and things like that. Like, you know, the federal government decided that's the appropriate way to do this. Um, state government is disagreeing with that. You know, who wins in the constitutional framework we have. So, so those are the kinds of voters we have. Now, what you're describing, was it easy for you to do I'm sure it was. I mean, I, I did the same thing. I mean, I voted, registered to vote when I got my driver's license and service AZ, I think is the website and, and it's easy enough to do, but not every voter has that same ability. And I think that's the argument that a lot of folks against voter ID would, would make, if that makes sense. No, that, yeah. And, that, and, and to a certain degree that, to some degree that makes sense to me, um, because I, in my practice, I represent a lot of older people and they, they struggle to email. They struggle. They struggle to fax. Um, they don't. They, you know. They they don't do anything electronic. They're not unintelligent people. They just don't understand it, and they don't want to understand that part uh, part of the world. Hey, Roy, I want to thank you for coming on. I know you got a busy a busy schedule. This is the most busy time for any election lawyer. Um, thank you for coming on the show. It really has been helpful. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd love to come on again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Is That Even Legal? Remember, this isn't legal advice. If you have a legal question for yourself, reach out to an attorney. Remember that we're fun, we're lovable, and we are here to help you. To my listeners in 62 countries across the world, if you have something you want to explore, email us at producer at evenlegal.com. And don't be shy about leaving a review for this podcast on your favorite podcast forum. See you next time.